0: Good afternoon
1: and welcome. It's Monday, which means it's time for our Zoomer squad, and there is news about long term care. News that, quite frankly, worries me. Now, in order to take the pressure off hospitals, nursing homes, certainly here in Ontario, are going to take in an influx of patients who are in hospital waiting for beds. This amid a huge shortage of long-term care workers, a shortage that has been pointed out by the homes themselves. Now, so what is the government's response to this? They say they will allow fully vaccinated personal support workers and other workers to work in multiple homes. Now, remember, this is what led to the huge death toll in the first wave. And we do have vaccines now, that's right, but they are not 100%, especially in elderly people whose immune systems are weakened. And scientists think that vaccinated people, like those support workers, can still transmit the virus. So, what do you think? Is this just another example of sacrificing our elders? The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll free one 866 740 Now let's see what the panel thinks. I'd like to welcome the Zoomer Squad's David Kravitz, Vice President of Zoomer Media and Chief Membership Officer at CARP, Bill Van Gorder, Interim Chief Policy Officer at CARP, and Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor of Zoomer Magazine. Hi, everyone. Hi,
2: Libby. Hello, everyone. Hi, Libby.
1: Hi. So, (laughs) let's begin with David. What do you think of this, David?
2: More scrambling, more moving the pieces around uh, on the chessboard. I'm not qualified to say what the risk is of a PSW, who has been vaccinated, uh, six, you know, God forbid, succeeding, it's the a bad, the bad word, I suppose, in infecting someone, whether they can pass along the virus even though they've been vaccinated. But to add more people to an already overloaded system and then to claim, I think, rather disingenuously, as the ministry did in their announcement, that this is a great example of how they're working proactively to deal with things, its uh, it's
3: appalling. Bill, I'm just as concerned as you are, Libby, and not uh, not that I'm a medical expert either. But we're hearing from our members that they're uh, very, very concerned. It uh, it seems like they're experimenting with these uh, uh, with these seniors, uh, and they don't know what's going to happen. They didn't follow up on their original promise to find more staff so we wouldn't be short-staffed in long-term care and now and now they're using this as a way to uh, backfill and the risk uh, and the worry among our members and other seniors uh, is extremely high uh,
1: Peter uh, I'm not even sure about what the disclosure rules because we've heard that among long-term care workers, vaccine hesitancy may be as high as 30%. And, I mean, as far as I know, they don't even have to disclose whether or not they're vaccinated. Now, I, I don't know if they disclose to their employers. It's it's uh, very murky, to say the least. Uh, do you understand the rules around
4: that? I don't. I, I was trying to parse through them today, and I, I couldn't quite make it. But, um, you know... It is alarming if there aren't, uh, you know, you, if these people don't have to prove they've been vaccinated, you know, before they, they go between uh, homes. And, they, and I think we're just setting it all up for a repeat of the first time around. And um, one question I'd like to ask, Phil, though, um, is, is how many of the nursing home residents in Ontario have received both shots? Have they, have they only received the one shot or, or, or are most uh, received full
3: vaccination? No, our understanding is that most have only received the uh, first shot, not the second. And right, in fact, right, which creates I think some of the, the hot z- problem here because
1: I've, I think uh, in the hot zones. Although the first zones... shot
3: reduces, um, you know, reduces
4: the transmission, it doesn't completely reduce it. So if we have people moving around who are infected, it's just going to spread infections, I think.
1: I believe that in the hot zones, people have received both their
4: doses. Oh, shots. Okay.
1: So that would be uh, here in Toronto and Peel. Uh, but, um, yeah, all of this is pretty murky. We have the Minister of Long Term Care jumping in to help. Now, the one saving grace of this is that I believe the move is voluntary. So what's happening, they've, they've changed the rules to make it, you know, quote, attractive. So it used to be that if you, uh, were waiting to go into the home you wanted to go into and you went somewhere else, you're off the priority list or if you leave. So they said people who agree to do this will not lose their place on the priority list and they won't be charged certain charges. So I think, I, I mean, it's hard to read, but I think that means that people can say, no, I'm not going.
2: Yeah, I had the same impression reading the uh, the announcement that it is voluntary.
1: I mean, it just seems <laughs> I don't know. It's it's I mean, again, uh David, I mean, you know, I the the hospital association, they are strapped, they have asked for this. But what do you make of of the minister agreeing so quickly and um
2: well, I think, I think the problem you have here is that there's been no real honest communication throughout. And they're trying to present, uh, desperate measures as proactive problem solving. And it may be that they have no choice. I'm a little bit more impressed by the fact that they asked for the mil- military to step in again. And I saw just moments ago an announcement that the military is getting ready to send some <clears throat> ICU nurses and some mobile Emergency teams into Ontario. At least that's a kind of an acknowledgement. Okay, we have an emergency. David, it's I haven't seen that yet.
1: Sorry, when yeah, did it's, you see it's that?
2: Been about uh, ten minutes ago. Oh, okay. They haven't deployed, but they've been requested. Well, that at least you're saying. Look, I'm going to draw on some emergency thing I normally wouldn't draw on. It's there. I'm going to use it. This is more. I'm as you said. You used the word earlier, backfilling, or uh, it's it's. And in violation of what they said earlier about putting an iron ring around nursing homes, um, it's contradictory. And I think they're the victim of their own previous rounds of either misinformation or incomplete information or or shifting definitions of what works and what doesn't work. And as a result, I think they've used up whatever reservoirs
3: of uh, credibility they had.
2: Hmm,
1: Bill?
3: I, I I agree. Uh, it it's uh, confusing, and it's uh, and and there doesn't seem to be a basis for th- these decisions.
4: Peter, yeah, and and I guess you know if we're if we're sending patients up to Sudbury and up north from Toronto to take the load off Toronto. Um, this kind of uh, you know shuffling your your pieces is going to continue until we've sort of you know created some breathing room for our for the overburdened um, hospitals in Toronto. So it, whether it's a good move or a bad move or a dangerous move, it, it's irrelevant right now because it's the only move they have left to make.
1: OK, so I guess uh before we move on to the next subjects, we all have our homework. So, number one, we have to c- confirm, and th- uh, this is uh, on the order of note to self, is this actually voluntary? How voluntary is this uh, for people? And the other question is, you know, in terms of the vaccination. So, uh, you know, what are the privacy rules around this? I mean, I've had... um frankly like people who i asked directly who just said i don't have to tell you if i'm vaccinated or not and then on the other hand like a third party saying oh so and so yeah she's vaccinated uh so i it's very confusing (laughs) to say the the least
2: they gave you when you got your vaccine to confirm that you've been vaccinated um what was that for
1: uh, well, uh, it's probably for, for public health and for whatever you might need it. It's just, yeah. it, to me, you know, it, this raises a whole other issue. And I guess, you know, maybe the most generous explanation is that the authorities don't want to push it since it's hard enough getting staff. But honestly, I, to me, it is a total no brainer that people who work in healthcare with vulnerable patients have to be vaccinated but they don't and they never have been i mean they don't even you know i remember when i was uh in chemotherapy for cancer finding out and it was a bad flu season that you know uh, the people who were coming near me didn't have to be vaccinated
2: terrible, terrible. I, I don't see I think, where it's cool. a private i don't see where it's a privacy issue it's a privacy issue If you're saying, I'm not going to take this information and publish your name in the newspaper to the effect that you have been or have not been vaccinated, but it's quite reasonable during a time of a pandemic to insist that people that want to enter certain premises or do do certain actions have to demonstrate that they have been vaccinated. That would be, it seems to me, common sense public health 101. If you want to come into this building or if you want to do these functions... Uh, we need to see proof that you that you've been vaccinated. Why is that unreasonable?
1: Well, you know what? If your family remember, they had to provide proof of a negative test. Right. Right. But I, the rules, I guess, are are different. Well, my uh, f- my uh,
4: my kids at school have to provide proof that they've been vaccinated from the the childhood diseases, right? Or or. You, the the, ch- the child could get suspended unless they provide that. Yes, person. we all
2: did that with kids in school, right? Yeah, right.
4: So so that kind of um, you know that that kind of policy could be applied, I, but it, it hasn't been. So like it, it would take the federal government lead to create a vaccination policy um, that spells all this out, and then and then people will have to abide by it. But there's no. There's nothing out there right now, so people can, you know, people can refuse if they like.
1: Well, uh, I'm not sure it's the federal government, because I remember that the health minister here, Christine Elliott, was asked about it, whether she would mandate vaccination for health care workers, excuse me, and she, she said she had no plans to.
2: Hmm. Well, there you go.
3: <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> but
2: there was a, that's a, true, there, Libby. There but was that's true. Then... Go uh, ahead, David. Might... I'm sorry. You were, you were saying? If that's true, then aren't we right back to round one? I can decide as a PSW that I want to book more hours in order to earn more money. Not that that's a bad motive. And I'm, I'm going to go from location A to location B to location C, and I don't need to tell anybody whether I've been protected or not. We've seen this problem in the workplace, and this whole debate that occurred in the last couple of weeks about paid sick leave of workers saying... I can't afford not to work. I need to feed the family. Um, and I'm, I'm just going to hope for the best. I don't have to declare if I've been protected or not. I don't have to have a vaccine or not. I'm going to keep showing up and hope for the best. And that's why they've had such spread in certain workplaces. Yeah,
1: well, um, it's, it's all extremely disturbing. I'm going to take a couple of calls. We've got Steven Brampton. Hi, Steve.
5: Oh, hi, Libby. Uh, this is really a question for you and your panel. As soon as I heard this announcement um, about uh, workers going from long-term care home to long-term care home, even if they've had two uh, vaccinations, I, I have been under the impression, now nah, correct me, that you can still be a carrier even though you yourself have been vaccinated. Am I wrong on that? Uh,
1: that's, that's what I've seen. I think that Nobody really understands for 100% sure, but that is what I've seen. And certainly after one dose, uh, yeah, that's, that's my understanding as well, Steve. Okay, so
5: that's my, my feeling, my understanding is it can be sitting on my tongue, but right if I speak moistly, and uh, even though I'm fine. So, okay, well, thank you. We're on the same page. I don't know if we're right or not, but we're on the same page.
1: Okay, yes. thanks, Steve, for your thanks, call. Bye. Let's go to Norm in Niagara. Hello, Norm.
5: Oh, Libby, how are you?
1: Fine, how are you?
4: I am well, thank you. I'm just going to share a couple of statistics. Uh, I'm on my Niagara region's website, uh, and I just wanted to say that the percentage of facilities that have where first doses and second doses have been administered is 100%.
1: Okay. Norm, that's good to know. There's something weird on your line. You're crackling, so I'm going to let you go. Okay. Thanks. Yeah, uh, we, uh, can check on the website. Uh, so I think that a lot of long-term care residents have been, have, have had both doses. But again, it's, uh, it is, it's, You know, nothing is 100%, and we know that as you get older and more frail, your immune system isn't as strong and things don't work as well. I'd like to turn to this breaking news that David shared with us, and that is that uh, the Canadian military is preparing to send ICU nurses, medics, um, after Ontario's request uh, about a week ago, the premier was saying, now nah, we don't need it, but obviously now they have changed their minds. Uh, is that a good thing, Peter?
4: Well, it, again, <laughs> like it, it's never a good thing when you have to call in the army to, uh, because you can't care for your own people. But um you know, we saw it in in the desperation of the first wave. We saw them coming into the nursing homes, and now we're seeing them, um, to you know, bringing. Um, I, I guess they're ventilation teams, are they? That uh, that would come in and take the load off hospitals. So again, it's not a good thing. It's a desperate thing. We don't know. Um, you know, it, it's been requested. We don't know whether they've accepted or not. Have they? But uh, you know, we'll we'll see how it develops. But uh, again, desperate times for Ontario healthcare.
2: Hmm.
1: Bill?
3: There are a lot of people who think that we should have asked for this kind of help even earlier and received it. Uh, This weekend also, there was an announcement from uh, the Premier of Newfoundland that they were willing to send health care workers to Ontario to give us the help that we need uh, here. Uh, People are reaching out to us. Uh, I think it's time we started Uh, accepting it and realizing we can't do it all ourselves.
1: David, what do you think the holdup was?
2: I I think that they're they're caught in so many conflicting and competing optics uh, between, you know, prevention theater and prevention substance, and we're fine, we're not fine. I think it's an entirely uh, good move. I think you don't stand on ceremony, lives are at stake. You reach out to every resource you can get your hands on, when you're in the middle of it and you know you settle up later and say what could we have done you know what do we need to build for next time but i think it's an unreservedly good thing that they they've asked for it. my understanding is the military is um sort of gathering gathering the forces they haven't deployed yet but um i think it is, i think it is a good thing and i think it should have been done uh, earlier they should have been on standby everywhere all the time throughout the whole piece how many are there what have we got what can we draw and who's got what they 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 always seem to not quite know what they need until after they need it and and that's kind of disconcerting but in this case i think credit has to be given if you if this is a resource you need you go get it
1: yeah let's hope so i'm going to take a call from karen in bolton hi karen Hi, I'm just calling because you were
6: talking about people
1: being vaccinated in the hospitals and people that are you know,
6: working there. My husband has to go there to Brampton Civic Hospital because he has a blood disorder. Should he be asking the people at the door that greet him if they've been vaccinated and the floor he has to go to if they've been vaccinated? I'm a bit nervous about this.
1: Well, they don't have to tell you. Um, uh, I was recently in the hospital. I... I um, disclosed that last week. And uh, all they you know, they take all the precautions is what they tell you. Anybody who comes near your husband will be masked and be wearing a shield. Uh, And uh, if you see them in a yellow gown, it's because they're more afraid of you than you are of them. But but the reality is, uh, I believe most of them have had the opportunity to be vaccinated, but um, they don't have to tell you.
6: I know. It's, it's very unsettling, I guess, is what I would have to say. I, I agree. I just to make that comment.
1: Yep. It is very unsettling. Thank you very much, Libby. Okay. Right. Bye-bye. So here we have the military coming in. We have the province trying to move more people into long-term care, even as they're in the midst of a staffing shortage. I mean, it it really looks like the situation in this province is very far from being under control, is what I'd say.
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and it all really, it all... all, uh... We we need more shipments of vaccines, and and I I think once we get it into enough arms, uh, this kind of immediate uh, you know this this immediate alarm will be over. But uh, but the wait is interminable. It seems for the uh, shipments, and and the rollout is interminable. So. Um, I, As long as we wait, there's going to be this buildup of pressure on the health system and the the alarm among people.
1: Well, it's interesting. We're supposedly getting a lot this week, mostly Pfizer, a little Moderna, first shipment of the Johnson & Johnson. Johnson &
4: Johnson, that's right. Uh,
1: Tomorrow, I believe, we'll be talking to pharmacists because there's going to be a pilot project of pharmacists administering the Pfizer Remember, the general said that uh, they couldn't administer the Pfizer in long-term care. And, uh, I mean, you know, between uh, my opinion, between terrible procurement and terrible execution, we're really behind the eight ball here.
4: Yeah. And, and that, that's the reason we're, we're in such a desperate situation. And I, I think once it starts flowing in, you know, whenever that is, Libby, then, then you know, we'll look back and and, uh, say this could have all been avoided by a a better uh, vaccine strategy.
1: We heard from a listener this week, and her mother is housebound, and we know that they have started to deploy paramedics, but it it could take a while, um, and I'm still scratching my head about, you remember that for a couple of weeks when the cutoff was uh, 60 or 65 and, and over or even higher than that, they, there were a lot of appointments that were going begging. David, do you have a theory about that? Why that happened?
2: Well, at the time, we thought that some of it was uh, uh, just communications and the older people didn't have the means or the resources to figure out the online booking or to get people to to book it for them. I also think, though, that there was, uh, you know, one system worked well, but then you had pop-ups that weren't part of the central system. You had take your chance over here. You had... uh um, word of mouth. Uh, I mean, uh, it, it's still fragmented. Even now, my daughter, uh, who's a teacher, lives in an apartment, and, and their super got a call from somebody from Toronto Public Health the other day saying we'd like to come by the building to see who's missing, which is good, but they had no Record of who was there and who had it and who didn't have it. They just knew there was an apartment in a hot zone and let's go over there and check it out. So I think they're trying, but it's just, again like with everything else, it's just so fragmented that it's very hard to get a handle on it and make a coherent sense out of it. I suppose if you wanted to, you could say that they've done a not bad job overall in in looking at the percentage of vaccines that they have dispensed, and it's high. I think it leads Canada. So they are getting it out there, but boy, it's a chore, and they're not making it easy.
1: No, they're not. (laughs) (laughs) So looking ahead to the next week, what are our priorities? And Bill, you're in Halifax, and the number of cases there, while it's still small, it's been spiking, and I know that the officials and everybody there is really, really worried.
3: They're very worried. More cases... uh uh, per day than we had even at the beginning of the uh, pandemic. So it, it, the size is uh, relative, but uh, the same kind of concern that we we have in Ontario. And as, as uh, Peter said, uh you know, in the long run, the answer is to get everybody vaccinated. And that means uh, uh, making sure that the people who are in their own homes uh, and the communication to people, the worry of those people who aren't hearing about when they 're going to get their vaccines, or how they 're going to do it the government 's done a terrible job in keeping people up to date and even what their plans are
2: hmm. david well i think I think part of the problem is that we are we 're dealing with a double whammy here, and as usual they 're trying to you know play all ends against middle on a, on the grounds of the sheer, you know, death rate of wave three compared to wave one, we have three thousand and thirty-three hundred 3,300 or something cases say 24 deaths is less than 1%, which means 99% are not fatal cases. On the other hand, the ones that require hospitalization throws an intolerable burden on the hospital system. And I think that's where they're feeling the crunch. They're not seeing the same, anything close to the same rate of death, thank God, that we saw in round one and round two. But then the question becomes, how come the hospital system cannot accept uh, this level of, um, you know, surge And if we had been talking a couple of years ago with never never having heard of COVID, and we we would have thought that suddenly 600 people in a province of 14 million need ventilators, and it brings the entire economy to its knees, we would have said that can't be true. But now it turns out to be true. So there'll be some uh, agonizing reappraisal when all this is over, just how robust is the system, Uh, how good are our facilities if we're operating day-to-day at near... Capacity anyway, we have no room for for a problem. Then maybe they got to re- They're going to wind up reexamining everything when all this is over.
1: Well, yeah, but David, of course, the reason that hospitals were in good shape in the first wave is that the people were dying in long term care exactly. and, and a lot of them weren't allowed to go to the hospital.
2: Exactly, exactly. Of course. So it goes back to well, what shape are the hospitals in uh, without COVID? And it seems like not very good.
1: Okay. Peter, you get the last word.
4: The last word. Well, um, I remember Dr. Williams, David Williams said uh, about a month ago, he said, this race is between the vaccines and the third wave to see, you know, to to see whether Ontario comes out on top. And obviously, we've lost that race because the uh, cases are jumping, hospitalizations are jumping, ICU ventilators are all jumping, and the vaccines are not rolling out quickly. So we lost that race, but let's concentrate on catching up. Let's get these vaccines flowing. Let's get them into people's arms. And then we can uh, start catching up and and winning the race eventually.
1: Okay. Well, that's a positive note to end on. Thanks so much to our Zoomer squad, Peter Mugridge, Bill Van Gorder, and David Kravitz. We'll talk
7: soon. Thanks, Libby. Thank you. Thanks, Libby.
1: Okay. We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about taxes. Have you done your taxes yet? The deadline is later in the week, and a lot of people think it should be postponed. And we're going to have lots of accountants here. So if you have questions about the tax year, uh, you know, get to the phone. We'll be dealing with that on the other side of the break.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio.
1: Welcome back. We are talking taxes. And as of now, those taxes are due on Friday, is April 30th. There are a lot of people calling for extensions for a whole bunch of very good reasons that we have hearing, been hearing all about. I'm going to uh, start with Alan Branford, who has a question. Hello, Al. How are you doing? Fine. How
7: Maybe. are you?
5: Okay. I, the question to the tax guys are, my mother was an accountant. And when I was young at this time, leading up to this time of the year, I was, I would help her, right? Now, in some cases, people didn't have all their stuff together and she was able to send in, I guess, their name and their social security number and some of the information and send it in before the deadline. And then they would be okay for not later on. She would complete it and they wouldn't get a, a fine or, or charged with penalty. Is that still in effect? Who was? So I could. Uh, uh, it's Bruce. I could take that because uh, there's there's two parts to that. That's a really good comment. Uh, that is uh, the approach that you're supposed to use uh, on an individual basis if uh, there's an issue getting information. So if you can't get all the information for a client or if it's yourself personally, you should file with what you have by April 30th. The problem, though, I'm hearing is that. A number of people are having trouble just opening up all the information and getting to the work. So that's really the problem. It's, uh, for many practitioners, it's uh, much uh, it's much more difficult than just uh, dealing with missing information for individual clients. I'm hearing stories about people who just can't even get to uh, some some of their clients just because of the workload, which is the big concern.
1: Okay, Al. Thanks for your call. Yeah. Yeah. What about this issue with uh, with my account uh, on the CRA website, uh, uh, Bruce?
5: Well, that that's been a, a concern as well. Uh, the issues arose, I believe, about six weeks, six to eight weeks ago, originally. But that's also an issue if uh, uh, people uh, hadn't uh, been in contact with CRA. There was a process to get themselves set up again. So. That that also presents an issue because many people want to download their information from the CRA site. And if they can't get in, they won't be able to do that.
1: Um, what about people who are trying to file taxes on, on their own this year? You know, it sounds pretty complicated uh, by what you're saying.
7: Hugh? Um. Well, I mean, in some respects, filing your own tax return is actually getting easier because the software is so good these days, and the CRA does have a lot of information available on their website. Uh, so, I mean, I applaud the CRA in that regard. Um, but. Um you know, the uh, the issue really we're facing is, uh, you know, particularly for older people who are, you know, less savvy with technology, uh, even though, you know, a lot of older people are very proficient with email and, uh, you know, computers and Internet, you know, a lot of them don't have scanners and printers. So, you know, you know, electronically downloading their information to their clients just isn't something they can do. And they're just, you know. You know, you know, legitimately concerned uh, about leaving their houses, or you know, they're under you know uh, lockdown uh, notifications that they're not allowed to leave their houses, and so you know, it's just physically impossible for these returns to get prepared. So, um, you know, I, I don't want to beat up on the CRA, you know, in, in in all regards. I mean, they have worked very well with technology, but for you know a lot of a huge portion of the population, it, it it's it's not working right now.
1: Well, I remember last year, and the big issue was that the Paper returns were no longer available unless you called a special phone number that, that I remember talking to, uh, the parliamentary secretary, the minister, and, and even they were confused about it. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I can't, if it wasn't available last year, it's certainly not going to be available this year, Hugh.
7: I, I think that's very, very, very clear. I think they don't want, they, they do not want any kind of paper. I remember uh, Rick Mercer had a very uh, funny uh, uh, segment on one of his shows many years ago called "Lead File" about uh, you know instead of you know you know electronically transmitting it, just getting out a pencil and then filling out your tax return. So I think uh, it appears that the CRA wants those days gone. Hmm.
1: Uh, David, uh, so um, are you still hopeful that this extension might materialize?
8: Uh, Hopeful, yes. Uh, Whether that's a realistic hope or not, I don't know. Uh, One other point worth noting is that there is something called taxpayer relief, used to be called fairness, which means that if you miss something from a tax point of view and you have valid reason for it, then you can apply for elimination of interest and penalties. So if you're in any one of these situations, you're locked down, you can't access, you can't get it, those are valid grounds for applying for fairness or for taxpayer relief. Mm-hmm. But that is a process and it's not simple and the simple solution send the deadline.
1: Okay, let's hear from Judy in Richmond Hill. Hello Judy. Yes, hi. Good morning. Good afternoon. Sorry. I'm trying to make
6: this fast and I hope I don't mix it up too much. I'm I'm a senior. I filed my income tax last year late because I they owed me money. Uh-huh. And uh, what do you call it? H and R Block. They wanted two hundred and ninety dollars for a return.
1: Okay.
6: I used to get it free before. Anyways, I that that is still in process from from two thousand nineteen. Really? And they've cut. A, and they owe me nine hundred and ninety some dollars or that, whatever. That's... They've cut off my trillium and my GST. I'm not getting that either. I've not applied for any benefits because how am I going to apply?
1: Uh, that sounds. I mean, generally, I, I have to say they are usually pretty good about giving you um, the money. Am I am I wrong? Uh, which one of our accountants wants to to speak to that?
5: Well, it's, uh I'll, I'll jump in. It's Bruce. Uh, yeah, I'm. Sur- um, I'm concerned to hear that. From the perspective, I wonder if something's happened with the return that it somehow hasn't been transmitted properly or something because. Uh, most oh, they the have. Time.
6: I've talked to them. They haven't. Oh, okay. They're just saying it's in process. Oh, I phoned them like five times. When was okay. the last time? Oh, A couple of months ago, probably. I got to phone them again. I wrote down the dates somewhere. Oh, on my return, I wrote down the dates and the person I talked to and and their number.
1: Yeah, because cause, uh, like I said, you know, for uh, for all their faults or whatever, they're they're usually. Pretty quick with that stuff, and and but but there there can be issues if they lose something.
8: If it was a paper return, they're not. No, it was filed by an by uh, by
6: a, by a uh, an accountant.
8: Well, then there's no excuse.
6: No, they should have processed
8: it.
1: Mm-hmm.
6: What, what does the accountant say? They called too, and they're saying it's in process too. They owe me $920. I pay my income tax off my pension every month because I don't like to pay a lump sum at the end of the year. Wow. Um, And now they're still taking my money, but they're not giving me back what they owe me. This year they owe me uh, over $1,000.
1: Well, I don't know. I think your accountant should follow up on that. That's what you're paying him for. Okay. I'll call him and tell him.
8: Okay. He should escalate it. He should escalate. Don't just deal with the person who answers the phone. Go to somebody more senior and have them deal with it. Because frontline staff doesn't know anything. They look on the computer and they say, okay, it's in right, progress. Right,
6: right. So I should ask for somebody senior.
8: Ask your accountant to deal with it and to escalate it. Yeah, you get your accountant to do, to do, do it.
1: Okay. Hope that helps. Yeah. Get your accountant to do it. Um <laughs> as if they don't have enough to do from now until Friday. Um uh Hugh, do you come across issues like that? Or are, are are things kinda getting lost?
7: Uh, there's no question that uh, with uh, the majority of the CRA employees working from home, it's caused a huge issue. Uh, you know, they are doing their best, but, I mean, it's it, it, things are, are really, really difficult in, in dealing with the CRA right now. They're very behind. Uh, I mean, I know a lot of stuff is done through their computer systems, which are very good, but, no, absolutely. The, you know, the, the CRA is sort of demanding that we get everything in on time, but uh, their response times uh, have never been worse.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh, one thing I would remind people is that uh, if you do a direct deposit with them, I think that's a quicker way to get your money. Agreed. David, um, are you getting issues like that uh, with, with uh, CRA employees who are working from home?
8: We have problems with CRA going back pre-COVID. Uh, their response time on objections, which is your, the first formal process if you don't agree with the tax return. It used to be 18 months, 24 months, 36 months. I mean, and now it's Never Never lands, Voluntary disclosures. We, have not had, we do multiple voluntary disclosures every month. We have not had a single voluntary disclosure file closed since they moved to the new system three years ago. It's just The backlog just accumulates. What's a voluntary uh, disclosure?
1: Very quickly.
8: <laughs> quickly, if you go to CRA before they come to you and say that I made a mistake in my taxes, I didn't file the tax return, I didn't report crypto income, there's no prosecution, no penalties, and a break on the interest. Okay. So completely backlog Everything with CRA is backlogged. The flip side of the coin is they're more reasonable now with granting extensions. I mean, typically, CRA will give you 30 days to respond to a letter from them after taking six months to get back to you. Uh, sometimes you have to fight to get an extension on 30 days. Now, it's almost automatic. You call up and say, we did not another two months. We get it almost automatically because they're backlogged as well. And they're not going to get to it anyways. So no question, the CRA response time, which was bad to start with, has gotten much worse.
1: OK, I'm going to give Hugh and Bruce each uh, 15, 20 seconds to wrap up. Hugh?
7: Um, well, I just like to uh, say that uh, our petition has garnered over seventy-five thousand signatures. Now, it was always intended to be nonpartisan, uh, but it just uh, seems very disappointing that the CRA has uh, really ignored the plight of a lot of uh, small accounting firms. And you asked a question earlier whether it's the accountants or the taxpayers. I think they're one and the same. I think the um, you know the accountants work for the taxpayers. So, to the extent the ta- accountants are struggling, their clients are as well.
1: Bruce, 15 seconds, please.
5: Okay. Uh, I agree with uh, what you just said. The other thing we're we're turning our uh, focus on is how to deal with what's going to happen in May because we need to find a an easier way to reverse these penalties once they start getting assessed. As David said, it's a very uh, clunky process, and we need to uh, uh, make it work on a large scale.
1: Okay. Uh, it sounds like we're going to have to follow up on this. In the meantime, thank you so much, Bruce Ball, Hugh Woolley, and David Rotfleisch. We appreciate your time. Thank you.
7: Thank you very much. My pleasure.
1: Okay. Uh, that is all the time we have for today.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio.
1: Welcome back. Have you done your taxes yet? Or did your accountant get to them yet? Accountants across the country are calling on the federal government to extend the tax deadline once again this year because of the pandemic and the strain on their workload. On the other side, the government's been saying that people have to file in order to get the benefits they're entitled to. So we have several accountants, and we'll get to that shortly, so feel free to call with your questions and let me give you the numbers, 416-360-0740, toll-free 866 740 And first, let's go to Philip Lawrence, who is the Conservative MP for Northumberland, Peterborough South, and the National Revenue Critic. Hello there, how are you? Hi, how are you? I'm fine, how are you? Great. So, uh, why do you think the government should be uh, instituting another extension?
9: Yeah, well, if, if you look at the same uh, the same rationale or reasoning applied to here as it did in the first wave, and that accountants and, of course, our citizens are fighting against the pandemic, uh, their focus is is on uh, uh, especially folks involved with frontline workers and owning small businesses that help our frontline workers on fighting the pandemic. And so, uh, I, uh, from a government that's had over two years to have a budget, I don't think it's asking too much uh, to have an extension of a couple of three months. In order for people to uh, get their taxes in.
1: So, what's the response been by liberals to you?
9: Yeah, we we haven't heard much. We've just really heard a flurry of talking points, and that uh, about all the things that the government has done in the past, and uh, um, I suppose the importance of filing their taxes. With respect, I just happened here in your open. You talked about the benefits, uh, even with the benefits, there are provisions the government can make that by even by delaying the um, the income taxes like, people can still retain their benefits in fact they've done that in the past.
1: uh-huh well and the other thing is that that uh, even if the deadline is <clears throat> excuse me even if the deadline is extended, you don't have to delay filing your taxes if, if you're expecting a, a nice hunk of refund or or anything else from the government you can always file early. <laughs>
9: Absolutely. There's nothing stopping you, uh, as you said, from filing early uh, and uh, filing as to what the previous deadline was. The other thing I would point out as well is, of course, we're dealing with many of the same issues we were in the first wave. Um, And uh, in addition to that, we've also had a number of cybersecurity issues with the CRA. We actually had over or close to, I should say, a million uh, My Accounts, which is the CRA online portal that have been suspended. Uh, And I've heard many stories of people having all sorts of challenges and struggles. So in addition to all the problems we had in the first wave, we have these cyber issues as well, which is making it more difficult for people to file online.
1: Mm-hmm. So what are you doing next to advance this?
9: Yeah, so uh, we're, uh, we're pushing the government in every way we can. Unfortunately, we are in opposition, so our tools are somewhat limited. Uh, but we're advocating uh, as hard as we can. I'm, I'm on the phone regularly with our Parliamentary Secretary for National Revenue. Francesco Sbarra, and uh, pushing them hard to to get this done. Um, and of course, uh, I have to tell you all the. I, I think you're going to have some accountants on. Um, the accountants have been pushing hard as well, along with us. We're doing everything we can to advocate and I'd encourage any of your uh, any of your listeners who are so inclined to reach out to their MPs, particularly if they're Liberal MPs, and say, "Hey, uh, Canadians, deserve a break."
1: Okay. Thanks so much, Philip Lawrence, Conservative MP for Northumberland, Peterborough South, and the National Revenue Critic. Thank you.
9: Thank you so much for the time. Really appreciate it.
1: Okay. And right now, let's bring in Bruce Ball, who is the Vice President of Taxation at CPA Canada, Hugh Woolley, who's a Chartered Accountant and Tax Consultant with Lewis and & Company, and David Rotfleisch, a Tax Lawyer with Rothfleisch and Samulavish. PC in Toronto. Welcome and thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. So I gather that there is an online petition signed by 75,000 people, most of them accountants. Uh, Bruce Ball, tell me about that, please.
5: Well, actually, I think you might be in a better position to discuss that one because he's been um, uh, active in that. um, But I can certainly comment when he's done
7: Sure. Let 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 me jump in. Then uh, this is uh, Hugh Woolley in Vancouver. Uh, yeah, we uh, started this petition because we were getting feedback from a lot of you know small accounting firms that uh, you know don't uh, have much of a voice uh, to. Um, you know, that they were really, really struggling. Uh, and they were struggling for a variety of reasons. Uh, one of the reasons they were struggling is is because their workload has been greatly expanded over the past year with a lot of the government benefit programs, which have been a real lifeline to a lot of small businesses, including the wage subsidies and the rent subsidies. But these require quite a lot of time for accountants to complete. And so because accountants, you know, who are generally fairly busy to begin with, have had this extra workload, uh, you know, tax preparation has suffered. Uh, and also, So, um, you know, when we got to uh, uh, tax uh, compliance season in February for the completion of T4 slips, a lot of accounts had significant additional uh, requirements uh, to file because uh, the government wanted to match the CERP payments, which was clearly a good idea. So they required significantly more reporting on T4 slips where you had to break down the employment income by period in which it was earned. And if you use a big payroll service for major corporations, that's probably quite easy data to extract. But if you're a small business and uh, you have to do your payroll manually, then uh, obviously this is very difficult and very labor intensive. And a lot of accounts got behind in February just completing this work. So a lot of them are just overwhelmed, exacerbated, and really, really struggling right now. And uh, a short extension would be, uh, would be a godsend for them. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: Bruce Ball, uh, can you comment on that? And so is this really a, a, a request to help accountants or to help the tax filers?
5: Well, actually, maybe I'll do, deal with the second question first. I, the issues for accountants are different because, you know, we work to prepare uh, returns for a large group of people as opposed to individuals on their own. But that said, I've been hearing more from individual taxpayers lately as well that, again, just for a lot of the same reasons they um, uh, would, you know, they've been focused on other things and uh, having to do their tax return now for some of them is an additional thing to worry about. But uh, going back to the accountants though, uh, we've been hearing and we were running really a, you know, a sort of a parallel process to what he was doing and hearing the same things. And we've been in touch with the government for several months now, because it, it was apparent to us that there would be issues because we do people are, are uh, tax preparers were struggling. Uh, the one thing you mentioned that i will just focus on is uh, wage and uh, rent subsidies and other assistance. Like many of these programs, the applicants needed help from uh, their accountants. So many of our members have been really busy. And it's been a long year, too, so they're worn out. But the other big issue I'm hearing is, uh, people have lost, uh, uh, some of their employees along the way. They've had to, you know, step back because of personal reasons or illness or that sort of thing. And it's very difficult to replace people as well. So our message to the government has been you've asked them to do more with less resources and they need help again
3: this year.
1: And, and what's the response been? I mean, I'm. Th- th- uh, it was a very, very uh, good point that our previous guest pointed out that, you know, for a government that took two years to give us a budget, uh, you know, what is the deal about this? Are they that desperate for cash to come in?
5: I'll be honest, we're not really sure what the issue is. Um, the response, uh, I think it was summarized very well, uh, you know, in terms of what the response was. It was uh, speaking points on things that they've done before, but not really addressing the issue in terms of uh, uh, why can't you provide relief um, and also manage the uh, the payment of benefits at the same time. Because people, we believe that they, they can do that. Um, and... Uh, it has been very difficult, I think, for people, too. So we wanted to make sure that was recognized as well. But we haven't really received a, a thorough response why, you know, they weren't able to do uh, 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 this year what they were able to do last year.
1: David Rotflesch, what's what are the issues for you?
8: There's a few points that are important to point out. Uh, first of all, as we tell all of our clients at TaxPage.com, If you do not file your tax return by the due date, there's an automatic late filing penalty. So that really is the number one issue with not extending the tax filing deadline. If you do not file by April 30th, the end of this week, you're going to get hit with penalty. And it's what, about 5%, right? That's 5%. That has nothing to do with... Paying the taxes owing, you can follow your tax return without paying the taxes owing. So if somebody doesn't have money, following the tax return on April 30th versus May 30th versus June 30th is not going to affect government cash flow. It's not going to improve how much money they get. It will affect taxpayers who have this automatic hit of 5% plus interest on the 5%, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Going back to the accounting issues, So I'm also a CPA by background. I don't practice as a CPA anymore, but I like numbers. So Canadian job force, 20 million people. So it's 20 million people employed in Canada. Number of tax returns processed by CRA last year, about the same number, 20 million. It means 20 million people are out there either personally or through their accountants filing tax returns. Number of accountants in the country, well, there's over 200,000 CPAs. And according to Statistics Canada, another 200,000 other accountants. So even assuming half of those accountants do not deal with personal taxes, that still leaves 200,000 or 1% of the entire labor force dealing with filing tax returns. The IRS one month before the April 15th deadline announced a one month extension. So Americans have a one-month extension. Here we are a few days before the filing deadline. We still have an April 30th deadline looming over accountants who, in some of the largest provinces and uh, smaller provinces as well, like Nova Scotia, we've got a complete shutdown in place. I mean, the, the stress on everybody dealing with this pandemic is unbelievable. The stress on ordinary taxpayers in tax season is also always... Overwhelming. You know, people are freaked out about taxes all the time. Accountants are working around the clock in a normal situation, typically seven days a week, 12, 14-hour days, to deal with the tax filing deadline. So it's an extremely stressful time for everyone. Why is there no extension? And if there's going to be one, why are we doing it at the last minute? I mean, the government started off well with all the subsidies, and then they dropped the ball with the vaccine acquisition they dropped the ball with the Canadian employment retirement Bear relief benefit where they said well, we're calling it back because of the gross versus net income and that was just before the holidays and they said well don't worry during the holidays it will deal with it and then after the holidays, sometime while people had to endure the stress they backed down as they, as they needed to so really I'm not impressed with the way the government is handling this I have heard no rationale whatsoever for not extending the deadline and I really wish you had somebody from the other side here to give us their rationale. I mean, if there's something I'm not aware of, by all means, I'm willing to be per- persuaded. But from where I sit, it makes no sense whatsoever not to have extended it a month ago, let alone today.
1: Okay, well, we will be uh, putting a call into Minister Sorbaro, though. I suspect that perhaps he is not the one that makes actually makes those decisions. Uh, everybody... Please hang on. We've got to take another break. I'm going to give the numbers out again and people, we will get to your calls after the break. The number is 416-360-0740, toll free one 866 740 We'll be right back.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio.